Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Alex Pruitt. Alex, what's going on, man? Just watched Toronto Winnipeg, so now I need a beer. So now I'm having a beer. Mm. Now I'm talking to you. There we go. That sounds like a pretty good night. It's great. Hockey's you know, on. You know what? Only bummer, we're we're going to have to like keep side-eyeing while this is happening. Yes. Ends with that while we're talking. Yeah, that's not a... Vegas not much. <laughs> Yeah, that's not ideal. I mean, we have been pretty blessed, I feel like, with um, the past couple of days. I guess in the past, like, what, 24 hours, we had San Jose, Nashville, then we had Winnipeg, Toronto, now Tampa Bay, Colorado. Like, it's, uh, it's a pretty nice little little window of games there. Dude, it's been great. Um, looking at you, tomorrow, we get, this is going to go up, we'll get Washington and Pittsburgh, Calgary. Um, I don't know. Watching Calgary, it's a bummer. It has to happen in the World Series. More people probably aren't paying attention in the states, but um, yeah, they did a good job of like really stacking these awesome matchups on back to back. And um, good for NBC for finally realizing that they can go cover games in Canada. Yeah, no, it's a really it's great that uh, I guess they're not really pushing the rivalry Wednesday thing anymore per se, but it's great that the uh, Wednesday doubleheader doesn't have like the Blackhawks, Rangers, and Capitals. With all due respect to those teams, it's it's nice that the national audience in the states is being treated to. I mean, obviously the first game with Winnipeg and Toronto had a great collection of talent, but even this Colorado Tampa Bay game, just like I'm not sure how many people get to see Nikita Kucherov and Nathan McKinnon at all times. So you know two of the more exciting players in the league getting more eyeballs on them and you know i only watched that first period before we started recording but the pace it was being played at was so high that that's the type of stuff the nhl really needs to be pushing where it's like if you're a casual fan or you're someone who's sort of on the fence about hockey and you're just tuning in on a wednesday night from the couch and you see that first period i get the feeling you're probably going to stick around and keep watching more of it which is exactly what the league needs more of it does feel to me like colorado has been on a little bit more nationally at the beginning certainly than they were last year for understandable reasons but I mean, when they are, you get, you know, a third of the game, you're getting one of the best lines in hockey on the screen. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like against Tampa Bay, who's, I don't know where they're, where they are in your watchability rankings, but they got to be top five for me on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, no, they were, they were definitely, uh, they were in that top range with the, the, the Toronto's and the Winnipeg's of the world. Um, okay. So today you and I are going to do a bit of a, uh, I guess this is officially the three week mark of the NHL season. So it's still, I mean, most teams are kind of in that 10 game or so range played so far, which I'm starting to look at the numbers a little bit more, but you know, we still generally kind of need at least another couple of weeks before we can really, really buy into some of the early season trends, but that's not going to stop us. Screw that. Screw that. Let's have yeah. fun with small sample sizes. Yeah. So obviously small sample size caveats out of the way. So please don't yell at us. Montreal's going to win the cup. Well, Pierre Maguire today, I mean, didn't didn't hesitate to call Tampa Bay, Colorado a Stanley Cup final preview. So he's uh, oh, he's fired up. Wow. What moves does he think Joe Sackick's going to make? 
Pierre's the best. Honestly, I've talked about this before on the podcast, and I make fun of him on Twitter all the time, but I promise to people it's coming from a good place. Like, he has his shtick, he does it well, and I think he's great for the game because it's this, like, genuine enthusiasm and excitement. Like, his main selling point, I feel like, was Kale McCarr is the best defenseman in the NCAA. And it's like, what? What does that have to do with the Stanley Cup final this season? That's an, that's a crazy thing to say. Um, but I, We've talked up. about him before that yeah. uh, I've spent time with him. And, like, I mean, nobody works harder than I mean, the guy's up at, like, 6 a.m. every morning onto another city and works, you know, if he could, he would work eight games in seven days. Um, but I would like it if there was maybe a little more variety and in the guys we have, but I think Boucher is awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about him. I think he's been really good at that number two um, between the benches role for them. Yeah, and I, th- I really thought AJ was awesome last season, and now she's uh, yes, she's doing Islanders games, doing, I believe. Yeah. Oh, cool! Um, I was over there at Barclays tonight, and then just left before mm-hmm. the game started. <laughs> That's what we do here at the PDO cast. We don't watch the games. We just go to the rink and then leave before it starts. Oh, no. When I, I went home where I have three screens where I can watch mm-hmm. more games. But yeah. uh, I also didn't really feel the need to watch Florida Islanders in person. Although it looked pretty good. Florida came back from down 2-0 and won in overtime. So good for oh. them for finally getting on a win. We'll get into the Panthers here. When we, we'll get into the Panthers here when we start our... Uh, so we're going to do superlatives, early season superlatives. We're going to do early season questions, overreactions, storylines, all that good stuff. So... Um, Grab bag. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's... I'll start off with this. Who has been... Because it's all doom and gloom here in the PDO cast, and we're a glass half-empty uh, type of show. Uh, <laughs> what's the, been the biggest disappointment so that's for you? why you brought you? me on. All right. What's the biggest disappointment for you this season? And that can be taken any any number of ways, whether it's a individual performance, whether it's been... Um, how a certain team's doing, or whether it's just simply been um, a trend you've noticed around the league. You can have your way with uh, with that question, and then I'll give you mine. Oh, man. You go first. Um, oh, that's... So, I had a couple teams here. Um, just yeah, because, that's where my mind went initially. Yeah, I mean, it's so early with like most guys having played like seven or eight games. I mean, generally the guys who are underwhelming from a especially point production perspective are doing so just because they've been a bit unfortunate with the bounces and we don't want to ding them too much for that and i'm sure that a week from now it could be an entirely different story so i'm going more with a team perspective and i have to say um i had the kings here and it's all relative i guess like i wasn't expecting them to be a cup contender by any means but i feel like out of all the teams that i've watched so far this season and i watch an unhealthy amount of hockey it's the Kings have been the most depressing team to me because at least like when you watch the Red Wings and we'll get into them a little bit later, like it's very clear that they've embraced the fact that they're going to stink this year. They're going to go for Jack Hughes. Like they're fully embracing that rebuild with this Kings team. They went oh, they out. They thought they were going to try to make the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they made the playoffs last year. They go and bring in Ilya Kovalchuk as a free agent. So they don't necessarily even have to trade anything off their roster to get him. Uh, you know, they have this top end talent with Kopitar and Dowdy still there and even Jeff Carter and Jonathan Quick. And I know Quick's missed some time, but you watch that team and a lot of what ailed them towards the end of last year and particularly in that first round series against, um, against Vegas is their foot speed as a team is so horrendous. And when you look around the league, like a team like Montreal or even Ottawa so far has less talent than the Kings do. But so much of that is sort of compensated for or masked by the fact that they have a bunch of young, quick guys who at least can kind of throw teams off uh, on a nightly basis with with their speed and, and their pace they can play at. Whereas with this Kings team... Like some of these games are just such a slog. I was watching the game on Saturday afternoon. I, I'm ex- I was excited. It was the only game on. I could really focus in on a Saturday afternoon to watch King Sabers. And man, they just got walloped at home. I believe they got oh, their boy. 20th shot on goal in like the final minute, and they were losing all games. So like the score effects were in their on, in their favor. And they just, it's just such a listless team. And don't even get me started into that. Uh, they had one performance earlier against the Islanders, I believe, without oh, Anze Kopitar. Before, yeah. I mean, those, those are back to back at home. And yeah. You're probably looking at your schedule in October. It's not just them, right? They had they hosted Detroit. I think they went to Montreal and Ottawa, and they won. They beat Detroit and Montreal. They got you look pasted at the by the like, Senators, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, and you think, okay, look at the schedule. All right, we're 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 probably going to have a, a pretty good October and you know get off to a nice start and carry on some momentum and hopefully Kovalchuk gets settled in. And um, Man, they don't. 
look a heck of a lot better at all, if if not marginally worse um, than what we thought they'd be entering the season. Yeah, I mean, what, the, I'm looking at it right now. The two six and one with a minus fifteen goal differential already in nine games, which is alarming. And that Pacific Division hasn't necessarily been the uh, the improved slate that we thought it would in the off season. Like it's you know San Jose started a bit slow there. The Ducks have had yeah, a ton of injuries. Arizona too. Arizona's been underwhelming. You know Calgary's very hit or miss depending on what night you see them. The Oilers are a complete mess. So it's like it's not like that division is being you know taken by a bunch of other teams and the kings are just going to be on the outside looking in they just themselves have been such a disappointment so that's why i kind of had them here but i don't know yeah maybe maybe we maybe we can expand that honestly to the pacific division at Mm -hmm. large like i I don't know about you but coming into the year for me it's pretty clearly san jose one um vegas two and then i wasn't really sure what to do um, I think you could probably have rejiggered most of those teams. Um, you could probably even make an argument for Edmonton if Connor McDavid goes berserk again, which he's obviously capable of. Um, but you thought LA would be in the mix and, um, Vancouver wouldn't be, but Calgary, Anaheim, I don't know, roll the dice at this point, right? Like, I, I don't think any of those teams have particularly stood out to me. Um, even San Jose, I, I caught them a couple of times when they were coming through the East to start the season and, um, obviously they're going to figure it out, but I mean, they look, they were pretty underwhelming from the get go. I thought, um, had a little bit of work to do in terms of figuring out what to do with Burns and Carlson together on the power play. And I like what they did last night, separating them for their, um, top unit and wound up working well. Cause you had Burns in the trigger spot. I think he blasted one from that Ovechkin spot on the second unit. Cause they kept crossing out there, but even at the start, they, you know, still were, going through a little bit of growing pains with, with the new lineup. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not been entirely impressed with the Pacific, but, um, I guess that means that a lot of teams are going to hang around. I mean, even Vancouver's sitting there. I mean, it's a bummer what happened to Pedersen, but, um, you know, if we're playing with small sample sizes, all the teams are still in the mix. So, but I mean, if you if you're like a, from a bigger picture philosophical question, like let's say you're running a team like the Kings or the Ducks, at this point, it's like you're kind of pot committed just because like four years from now, you still are going to have like thirty something million dollars tied up in a bunch of guys who are in their mid to late thirties. So there's no reason to expect it's going to get better. But it's really tough to, I guess, distance yourself from that. Like, is it is it as simple as you just kind of have to? ride it out hope you can make the playoffs a couple times more get some of that playoff revenue but acknowledging that you're probably not winning a cup with this with this team anymore like i guess at least with the kings they do have a couple of those rings with this group so it's an easier pill to swallow for their fan base but it's a pretty bleak outcome just because like for the red wings uh they're i think like the kings are approaching where the red wings were a couple of years ago where it's like the rebuild is still not underway, and then when they eventually get there, it'll still take another couple of years. Like at least the Red Wings are finally starting to have a bit of that upward trajectory with the draft picks and the incoming talent in the next couple of years. With the Kings, it's like, when is this team realistically going to be a cup contender again in ten years or something? Like it's 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 pretty bleak. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you who, who would you rather be managing right now, L.A. or Anaheim? Hmm. Well. I- I think I would pick Anaheim personally because of the young, younger guys they have on the D. But mm-hmm. and John Gibson. Um, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And John Gibson, and you know, I like what I've seen so far from you know guys like Comtois and Steele and mm-hmm. um, some of the younger players. And I mean, obviously, Raquel's pretty phenomenal forward up there. But um, yeah, I mean, at the same time, right? You got what sixteen million, fifteen million tied up and combined in in Getzloff and Kessler for the next three years, and. By the same token, you have about 16 tied up in Kopitar and Kovalchuk as the highest you played paid players up front in uh, in L.A. So um, I don't know. Pick your cap hell, I guess. Well, the good That's thing what, is based on you want to send to. based on what we know about aging curves, all those guys will get better in the next couple of years. So at least they have that. <laughs> hey, Kopitar did last year, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a freak. Yeah, he's he's very good. Um, OK, let's do a. Uh, Let's 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 zigzag here. Let's let's we'll do one negative, one positive. So let's yeah, do, let's balance it out. Good karma. Let's do uh, the best line in hockey. Uh, ooh. So you you posed this to me earlier, mm-hmm. um, and I think the ins- assumption everyone is kind of operating off right now is is that it's that Rantanen, Landis, Cog, McKinnon line. Um, their numbers aren't great. Yeah, like their underlying numbers aren't great right now, but. I don't think it really matters. Um, 
because they're so talented and McKinnon can do so much with the puck. And um, I didn't really realize until I watched him up close just how big and powerful Rantanen is and what he can do in terms of retrievals. And, um, you know, Landis Cox, obviously a pretty good two-way player. So, I mean, they're, they're definitely balanced. And um, I think as of this taping before tonight's game, they were outscoring opponents 9-2 to two at 5-5, five five, so they're certainly getting it done. Um, but I don't know. It's I, I would say maybe top – top three right now probably are, are them the Marchand Pasternak Bergeron line. And I don't know who else would you put up there? I mean, I guess when they're firing on all cylinders, you have to give uh, that line in Dallas with Radulov set big, uh, big end, uh with Ben and Sagan um, a nod there. Like they've been really, really good as well. So I think they're right up there. But yeah, I mean, like for obviously from an underlying 5-on-5 perspective, you're never really going to be able to top what that line in Boston's been doing. And uh, they've been generating a ton of points as well. And they really just dominate the game in a, in a very unique way. I got to watch them up close the other night when they were here in Vancouver. And they were very, very dominant. They didn't generate any goals, but they look like they probably could have had at least five or six if they got some bounces. So yeah, and that's every night with them. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, when you're when you're controlling like fifty six or whatever percent of the shots, it's uh, you're gonna have a lot of good nights. But yeah, no, with that with that Colorado line, um, you're right. If you look at just the shot share and stuff like that, they're not necessarily right up there. But then when you look at uh, the overall production with Ranton and leading the league in points and McKinnon being right up there, I believe he's like third or fourth and. I mean, listen, they're they're outscoring teams nine two at five on five, eighteen to three overall with them on the ice, with some uh, benefit of power play action there as well. And Colorado has an interesting combination there because I don't, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit based on their record and Pierre Maguire saying stuff like they're going to be in the Stanley <laughs> Cup final. But I mean, listen, the recipe is pretty clear there, right? Like if you have one of the best handful of lines in the league that is probably going to dominate on many nights. And you have great goaltending, like they've gotten so far from the two guys that they have there. Um, and then there's some other young, interesting pieces. You know, as long as Eric Johnson's healthy on that blue line, I like at least one of their pairs. So, like, there's pieces there, and there's a formula for success. Now, ultimately, I'm not sure how far that can take them until some of these other young topics that they've taken come into the lineup, like Kale McCarr. But I like what I'm seeing so far from them, obviously, and they play a very fun brand of hockey, and especially their home games, it, it it feels like I don't know if it's necessarily the altitude or, or, or the crowd or what's going on, but sometimes there is a little bit of a snowball effect there where it feels like uh, when they have it going, the game can really get out of hand quickly for their opposition. So like, I, I really enjoy watching that team play, and I know the, the Colorado crazies got a bit after me about uh, Miko Rantanen not being super high on, on our winger rankings that I did with Andrew Berkshire recently, but you need to give him love and, and Gabriel Landeskog as well, who's been on fire. So those three are are right up there. I have them right there with the with the Boston line as the most lethal combination in the league. Yeah, let's give them a lot of love as a unit. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of like it in a roundabout way to like when a baseball team has like one stud pitcher, and you you pretty much know that once out of every four games or five games or however your rotations work in that um, you're going to get seven and eight and you know two hits and one run or whatever and eight Ks and you know, efficient work and such. And like, you just bank that. That's just, that's just how it works over the course of the season. And all you really need to do is play, you know, 500 ball for the rest of your rotation. And that's pretty much what Colorado has to do if they load it up like this, right. Is they, they know that most of the night, you know, 60% of the nights, or whatever, they're going to, you know, win that power versus power matchup, if they can get it. And now that's, that's a big thing for them this year is because they were so good at home. And um, that line especially was so good at Pepsi Center last year and they weren't that great on the road. You know, how do they fare when they're getting the unfavorable matchup? But, um, you know, they're, they're by and large going to win that battle. So you just need the rest of the lineup to round, round out, right? And, um, you know, you need guys like Barry and Johnson on the back end to step up. And, um, you know, like you said, you need some of the guys like Yost and, and McCarr to, to come forward and, yep. you know, Gerard on the back end. And, mm-hmm. um but, you know, if they do, I, I, I kind of like what they have, and I, I like their chances potentially um, in a seven-game series because they have, you know, multiple goaltenders, which, have, as we say in the past, is, is very important once you get in the playoffs is the ability to toggle and, you know, ride the hot guy. And, um, you know, it's a good sign for them if Arlenov's healthy and, and playing decently well enough because they do have Grubauer, a pretty capable backup, and, you know, if not a, a number one at this point, um, waiting. So, yeah, I mean, I, with, with that line leading the way, 
Um, you know, I, I, I like their chances again, especially in a division that uh, you know it's it's crowded, but um, I think there's definitely room for them. And, and you know, when they can deploy that line for, like we said, 20 minutes a night, mm-hmm. um, you know, they got to be up there. There, there were a couple of things that stood out. I'm gonna hear what you think about them. When I was doing some research for this, though, um, oh, here come the sirens. Here comes for, from you. What'd you do? I don't know. There's just sirens in the background. It's the PDO cast. You know how it goes. <laughs> Surprise! They're not in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, two things that quickly stood out. One is that that Furland Aho Teravine line is currently plus six and five and five goals right now. Yep. Um, which is tied for top in the league, uh, or sorry, tied for second in the league behind McKinnon, Ranton, and Landis Cog. Which I'm sure we'll get to Carolina at some point. But um, my goodness, are they out shooting the crap out of teams? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then second is that two San Jose lines, the the Donskoy line, and the Pavelski line, um, are the t- league and penalties drawn. You know, their power play is like pretty average at this point, but right. um, they, I don't know what they're doing. I haven't watched a heck of a lot of them to pay attention to that specifically, but if they get their power play clicking um, with the weapons they have there, uh, they're they're going to do some damage just, just based on what those two lines are doing at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, no, I like that call. Um, okay. Here's the next one. The most Let's uh, do a bummer. Is it a bummer? Yeah, the most frustrating injury <laughs> so far. Which was a recommendation of yours. What uh do you have one that's been the kind of the most just disappointing just because, you know, maybe it messed with some of the preseason expectations we had or because it hasn't allowed us to see something that you would have hoped we could see so far? Yeah. Um I'm sure your listeners up there are probably howling for Pedersen, right? Um, and, and just from a purely entertainment standpoint, that stinks. I yeah. think it, it was going to have a heck of a lot of bearing on the, the end of season standings. Um, but, you know, the way it happened and especially, you know, what we know about concussions and all that, that's just, it's a bummer. And especially given how well he's playing, but my answer is going to be Longo. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of people kind of expected this to maybe be his, his last ride, despite what his um, contract may say, but just given his health over the past couple of years and, um, the way he's been trending, it's it, it did kind of seem like he was gearing up for for one more run, and just to have him go down like that in kind of a freak way, and you know, sprain MCL, and he's still out, and the team has definitely still hasn't found his footing, and um, you know, Bugner's talking today pregame about how they 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 keep imploring either Hutchinson or Reimer to grab the job, and then you know, obviously neither guy's really done that yet. Um, you know, good for Reimer for getting a win tonight, but um, you know, that's the thing when the long goes healthy, he's still a game changer, um, and there's no shortage of goalies you know, over the age of 40 and, um, you know, getting up there who are still succeeding from Anderson to Rene to, you know, Lundqvist in his late thirties. So, um, you know, I think if Florida wants to make a run, they certainly have the top six to do so. Um, you know, if some of their backing comes around, they're, they're going to need the goaltending and my gosh, what a great story would be, um, if Luongo came back and put it together from one final stretch, cause there's not, um, you know, probably many more popular guys. And, um, there's also not that many, Hall of Fame goaltenders left in the league. It's probably just, you know, him, I would say Lundquist, and you could probably make an argument for Flurry, but, um, you know, beyond that, there's no one where we're like locking into the position right now. So yeah. he is, in a way, kind of the end of, of an era. No, I agree. He was actually uh, my choice for this as well. So the Panthers got their first uh, non shootout win of the season today uh, at New York against the Islanders. Um, I also ding them quite a bit because they lost to the Detroit Red Wings. And I was hoping the Red Wings would go 82 <laughs> games without a win. So, um, you know, that they got into my uh, negative books there because of that. I mean, listen, they are, I mean, Luongo got injured in the second period of the season. I believe before we started recording at last check, the Panthers were 29th in 5 on 5 save percentage and 31st overall. Ooh. And yeah, Reimer struggle. Michael Hutchinson has been a train wreck. Like it's, it's for a team that we were excited about potentially making some noise there as maybe the third but probably the fourth best team in Atlantic but one that could push for a wild card spot clearly um they're gonna need better goaltending <laughs> and I'm not sure what yeah. what's reasonable like what's fair to expect from Luongo at this point just based on his age and the miles on his body and sort of these lower body injuries that he's been having the past couple of years like I don't think it's necessarily reasonable to expect that he's gonna come back and all of a sudden be able to play like 80 80 to 90 percent of the starts but Hopefully they can get at least something resembling league average from that position so that it allows what Barkov and Trocek and those guys are doing to actually make this team as competitive as we'd hope they'd be before the season. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we're just kind of waiting around for them to maybe catch fire like they did last year because they, um, 
like we said, certainly have the the forwards for it. Um, you know, their back end's kind of hit or miss, but they're, they're they've done their they've done their cap situation well. You know, credit the computer boys or whatever down there for doing that. Um, they certainly situated. They they chose these guys, and um, they certainly situated themselves to try and make a run over the next couple of years. But yeah, like you said, I mean, I wonder if um, you know if Reimer and Hutchinson are panning out if they take a run at one of the goalies that might get dropped down on the waivers at some point, whether it's, you know, one of the guys in Carolina or, or Pickard or someone like that, if they, you know, look for a short-term fix, but I'm sure a lot of that might depend on, you know, what's going on with Luongo's health too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's not talk about the most, uh, the most pleasant surprise. <laughs> let's go. Uh, I'm going to go Carolina. Yeah, um, we have to. It's very obvious. I, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's pretty obviously Carolina, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, everything from their wackadoodle, Justin Williams inspired post game post win celebration to um, you know his line with Stall and and Fogel is that how you pronounce it I can't even get the guy's name right but he's Warren like leading Fogel? the league in Warren Fogel yeah he's been awesome um, he draws penalties like a maniac but um, yeah I mean and and you know the fact that they're getting goaltending from Curtis McElhaney and like um, Darling's hurt and they're you know out shooting teams a bazillion to five every night. Um, you know, I, I know there was a lot of noise before the season about, you know, the ownership change and um, dysfunction and, you know, obviously the coaching change with Brendan Moore coming in. But, um, yeah, they've been a, a very lovely surprise, and I'm glad they're doing well because um, I remember visiting Justin Williams at his place last year after he had signed and basically asking him, like, why did you come back? Like, what was the point of all this? Um, after a couple seasons in Washington, you know, why, why come back and kind of help? Um, you know, finish off the rebuild. That's what the stage they were at. And he was, I remember him saying like, yeah, I remember when, um, you know, things got good there during the cup run that they had. And it's, it's college, it's a college area, right? With the mm-hmm. triangle schools and, um, you know, people packed the parking lot, like it was an SEC football game for a hockey game. And that's, that's kind of a dip- different atmosphere. Um, it's, it's a unique situation where the stadium, situ- where the stadium is put all the way out in the NC state campus. But, um, you know, if fans get into it, if they get good and if they're doing, you know, kind of offbeat things that draw attention, like, you know, ramming their bodies into the glass after wins, then um, I think it's I think it's great for the game, and it's great for a market that um, could use a victory on the ice. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe they're, like, north of 60% uh, in terms of shot share, which obviously won't continue. They're not the uh, 2007 Detroit Red Wings. But, I mean, this is a team that has been a great possession team for years, and we've waited for them to get the goaltending to support that. And it still necessarily hasn't been ideal, but it's been passable enough. And they've shown this extra gear so far, and some of it might be, um, you know, based on the opposition, like, at the same time, though, there was that one game at uh, Minnesota, who I think is at least decent, where they just completely took it to them for the entirety of the game. They had like 50-plus something shots on goal, and if it weren't for a, stir- uh, for a sparkling performance by Devin Dubnik, they would have completely blown them out. They ultimately wound up winning in overtime. But yeah, they have, they've, they've shown this extra gear that we typically see from the really, really good teams where they can just pile it on at certain times and the other team just looks completely helpless out there and can't even retrieve the puck um so it's encouraging and obviously now that you know they have a guy like sebastian Aho who, who is a bona fide star um they can actually convert a lot of those chances into goals it's a huge step for them so listen with uh with columbus and philadelphia in particular struggling a bit out of the gate you know pittsburgh and washington will be there but in what looks like a pretty tricky Metro division, um, Carolina looks like they could be finally realizing some of that potential that we've been holding out hope for, for years, years upon years now. So yeah, I think they're clearly the most pleasant surprise and, uh, hopefully it continues. Hopefully it's not one of those things where we wind up looking back midway through the season and go like, Hey, remember those, uh, first couple of weeks of Carolina? That was fun. I hope not. Cause I mean, like you said, they've been, they've been good out shooting teams in the past. They haven't been, 60% yeah. you know shot attempt share good <laughs> um so uh yeah i mean I, I i hope i hope so um there's certainly room in that division for another team to work in there with um you know the islanders and the rangers rebuilding and um you know philly's not after the great start and they they're by all accounts going to have the same exact questions in net as as carolina's going to so um yeah i mean i i love the youth that they have there um you know, wondering if they still have a move in them, given the surplus of right shot that they have. And I know everyone's been Toronto seems to be howling for, um, you know, Falk to come up there and Elander to go. And um, boy, if they were to get a piece like that, 
um, that is also going to help with whatever net mining problems you may encounter in the future. Uh, if you can score another forward mm-hmm. um, of his caliber or any or anyone like him, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, okay, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we will continue with our uh, superlatives on the other end. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast is SeatGeek. SeatGeek's about two things: saving you money and saving you time, and I think that's something everyone can get behind. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. There's hundreds of websites out there with varying levels of reliability. It's the internet, so it's really impossible to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek's the way to go, because they are going to do all the work for you, and they're going to have a full guarantee that what you pay for is what you ultimately will get. And there's a lot of comfort in knowing that's the case. Uh, they're going to scour the web for you, find every ticket available to whatever event you're looking for. They're going to lay it all out for you in an easy-to-use color-coded map that grades all the seats available based on value. And then ultimately, you just pick whatever is in your price range or wherever you're looking to sit, and you check out. And really, it's that simple. Within a matter of clicks and just a few seconds, you will be on your way to whatever event it is that you are craving to watch, whether it's hockey or basketball or baseball or football or so on and so forth. Um, it's still October, and this is, for my money, the best sports month of the season. There's seemingly a bunch of different things going on every night, so take advantage of that by using SeatGeek and getting out there. Um, and the best thing is, as a listener of the Hockeypedia Cast, SeatGeek's actually going to hook you up with $20 off your first purchase with them. All you have to do to claim that is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, here is a negative one. Uh, the coaching hot seat. Uh, let's go with coach most likely to, for us to start hearing some traction of like, uh-oh, if this team doesn't rattle off a winning streak, this coach could be could be gone. We really should have done like high school style. We should have put more thought into this and like planned better and done like actual high school style superlatives or something like most likely to be class clown. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Mark Vergevan. Most likely to be successful. I feel like that Connor McDavid has a has a bright future. He's okay. Mm-hmm. He's okay. There, there's it's all it's all about Sid still, man. Don't yeah. you know? Well, that goal he scored, um, overtime winner, that was... Uh, you know what? It, it is funny because we are so... And this is such a like a human nature thing that stretches beyond hockey, but it's like that whole sort of shiny new toy. And I feel like generationally, we're seeing that right now where everyone's just so excited about this new way hockey's being played. If you go into any random broadcast these days, it feels like the commentators will be talking about how the game isn't as physical as it used to be and how this, you know, pace and speed and skill and undersized players is, is the new wave. And that's definitely true. But at the same time, uh, it's been kind of also fun watching guys like Crosby and, and Malkin and Ovechkin and, and sort of that prior generation of stars um, still kind of show that they still got it and still hold up, holding off some of that next young wave of talent as like completely handing over the car keys to the league. So I've really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. It, it also seems like every conversation that's had about, you know, Crosby versus the new generation kind of includes the, the phrase that like Crosby is not as skilled as the others, but he works harder, but he, he's pretty damn skilled too. Yeah. Like that's not bad. I mean, poor Strom for getting undressed like that, but, um, that was a that was a pretty nice move. <laughs> I think that that did kind of showcase that he still got it at least a little bit. He does, and I mean, he part of it is obviously sort of experience and uh, being crafty, but part of it is also like a physical tool where he, when he has the puck down low, um, he is impossible to. It's impossible to dislodge the puck from him, and he had a couple plays there against Edmonton where he was just you know using that big booty of his to back up into the defender and create space for himself and dish it off to a player and he's still as good as it gets now that Henrik Sedin's no longer in the league and Joe Thornton isn't in the lineup like he's the number one guy in terms of still doing that and health willing and him wanting in terms to keep of booty play yeah and it, yeah exactly in terms of big booty play and, and in terms of uh if he wants to keep doing it for as long as he wants I feel like there's many, many more years of Sidney Crosby dominating the game, even at a slower pace, just by that combination of skills, which is a physical skill. So uh, yeah. he's still pretty good. Um, but he, so that's my answer. Sidney Crosby is on the, uh, the, on the coach coaching hot on seat? the hot seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he's the coach on the hot seat. Um, Todd McClellan comes to mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, things have 
not been as good as you want them to be when you have the best player in the world. And yes, McDavid is, for my money, the best player in the world still. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you got to think that at some point they you know, either ownership looks at a change with you know in the front office and um, quits giving Peter Chiarelli the the ability to trade top two draft picks, um, or you know they look at behind the bench or they look at both or whatever it may be, but. Um, you know, I, I know we. I know there's time left on Connor McDavid's contract, and I keep saying you know, every time I say, you know, I want to say like, don't waste his prime years. I keep thinking, oh, there's a little bit of time, but like, time's eventually going to run out. And you want to see that there's a plan, and um, you know, if certain pieces are working aren't working, then you got to figure it out. So um, I could see, you know, McClellan being a scapegoat at some point, but um, I don't know who who do you have in mind. I have Dave Haxtell. Oh sure, yeah. Um, just because you know Philadelphia's in classic Flyers fashion has had a very topsy turvy up and down start to the year. They're four and five. They have a ton of talent there. Um, you know, even in as we alluded to a tough Metro division, I think most people pencil them in pretty confidently as returning to the playoffs and being one of the representatives. And I still believe in the talent there, but I've long been a skeptic of. Dave Haxtell optimizing those pieces he does have because I do feel like he's blessed with quite an embarrassment of riches especially up front and it's just it feels like with the Flyers like they're always on the precipice of things just completely unraveling and it being a circus and I could see that um, coming into play especially because like I had Charlie O'Connor on the podcast last year and we talked about this in depth but the Flyers for years now have had very suspect penalty killing and they keep doing the same stuff and having the same guy running the penalty kill and refusing to address that. And it's once again hurting them and the goaltending is pretty shaky once again. And just based on like this question, typically what you need to take into account is sort of expectations, right? And it feels like the Flyers are one of the few teams that we had high hopes for heading into the season that looks like they could potentially underwhelm. So I would have him there. One of the most fascinating things in the entire league to me is how the angriest man in hockey, definitely the angriest goaltender mm-hmm. in the history of hockey became its most patient GM. Um, <laughs> right. Ron Hextall hasn't really done a, a move like, you know, he hasn't certainly hasn't fired a coach mid season. Um, hasn't really done a heck of a lot to deviate from this kind of slow build, you know, nibble around the edges with, you know, middle six guys in free agency and, you know, build your bottom from within and, um, you know, get a goaltender to patch the hole because you have to guy have to have a guy in the net every so often. Um, but, you know, short of that, he hasn't really done like the seismic shake it up move. And I'm curious if, if that is coming, if he has that in him. Um, and if that indeed, yeah, if that indeed involves making a, a change at, at coach, um, I mean, I like I like a lot of the pieces they have there. I think they probably need to make a couple of changes on the back end, and you know maybe some maturation up front. But it's you know it's going to be an interesting summer to them for them with you know guys like Wheel and Simmons are up, and you know if they are out of it, do they look for a buyer for Simmons? And mm-hmm. um, you know if you do that, maybe you, you try to bring him back in the offseason because you you know get him on a, a you know multi two three year deal because he's going to be thirty thirty one. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I definitely haven't watched them enough to you know, comment on what Haxall does tactically, but, um, you know, certain, certainly circumstantially that, um, you know, it seems like a place that, you know, coaching change might be natural if they're out of it by, you know, January or something. Yeah. I mean, you just look at, and especially like the bottom of the standings, most of these teams with Detroit and the Rangers and Vancouver and so on and so forth, like they're teams that we expect to be bad. So I feel like their coaches will not wind up, uh, paying the price for those struggles, but yeah, yeah Mike, Mike, yo, maybe, like yeah, so the one. Blues were under consideration for me for biggest disappointment just because, yeah. you know, relative to expectations, I was very high on them with their offseason moves, and I like them quite a bit as being in that tier below Winnipeg and Nashville in that central division, and they've clearly had some struggles, and the big issue ultimately comes down to the fact that it's what we saw coming, where it's a, is Jake Allen really going to be the solution there if you're considering yourself a cup contender? I know they goaltending is a very unpredictable volatile position but we've seen time and time again that he's i'd say suspect at best and i like chad johnson quite a bit as sort of a you know quote-unquote professional backup that can come in and give you 25 30 maybe even 35 really good starts but i feel like ultimately it's going to wind up coming down to either them 
addressing it via trade, which seems unlikely based on the money they've tied up, or Vili Husso, who's a an interesting young prospect who's been killing it at pretty much every lower level so far. So I, I know teams are very like this goes back to what we were just talking about with the Flyers, where it's like you know Carter Hart based on what he did in major junior might legitimately be their most talented option in net, but we rarely see teams trust, um, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old goalies to step in and play big workloads for them at that stage of their development. Like it's for a very conservative league. It feels like the goaltending position is the most conservative component of it. And so ultimately um, I wonder whether that's the right way to do business or whether based on what we know about aging curves and all that, whether teams are wasting some really cheap, young, cost-control seasons from their goalies by keeping them in NCAA and in the AHL. Hang on, I'm, I'm still Googling Ville Husso. Oh, okay, now I see who he is. Mm. I'm not I'm not too up to speed on my goaltending depth charts. Yeah, on the AHL ranks, yeah. Uh, yeah, on the, yeah I, I, don't, I don't really follow the San Antonio Rampage to, on a daily basis. This might surprise you. I like Husso. He's one of my favorite uh, favorite goalie prospects out of the NHL, which is I guess damning with fame praise because that is a uh, a position that is pretty pretty unpredictable. So um, yeah, let's. I like Mike Yell. Mike Yell's a good call. Four goalie prospects at NHL. Yeah, <laughs> we are out of my depth. Mm. Okay, um, let's do. Let's 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 do what's uh what are you watching for moving forward? What's uh like either a story or a development or something that is unresolved at this point that you are very intrigued to keep following over the next couple weeks and months? Um, the continuing emergence of Evgeny Kuznetsov in Washington mm-hmm. um, has been particularly intriguing to me. Um, I think you could probably could have made an argument that he was their. I mean, I think he was their best player yeah. for long stretches of the playoffs. He probably should have won the Consmith. Um, yeah. he, he probably should have won the Consmith, but you know, yeah. Anyway, um, don't need to relitigate that. But um, I mean, he, you know, he was even before that he was the first player in Ovechkin's tenure to lead the Caps in scoring besides Ovechkin. So, um, you know, he had, he had already arrived. But um, I mean, he's he's possibly a top fifteen player right now, right? Top ten player at certain stretches. Um, certainly top five as far as um, you know creativity and um, kind of that ability to just I don't know what to call it, but just do whatever he wants. <laughs> Um, he can, you know, try lacrosse goals and, you know, spinorama passes and, you know, ridiculous angle shots that somehow find their way to the top of the net. Um, and, and, you know, to, to that extent, I'm just curious to see how a Washington team that, um, did shockingly little in the off, not shockingly little, they did very little in the off season, understandably little given what they did, um, prior to that, but, you know, short of, you know, trading Grubauer and dumping the Orpic contract and then re-signing Orpic to a small value and bringing on guys like Nick Dowd and Dimitri Askin. Like, they didn't change anything from that roster. Um, so, you know, I'm curious to see how that holds up. Um, you know, once springtime comes around, once they, you know, whether or not they have the stamina to do what Pittsburgh did and make a second run, whether they have the mileage, whether they, um, or whether just kind of the shine wears off. Um, you know, I remember talking to Brooks Orpic about that before the season, that, you know, even he was kind of wondering what you know guys like Ovechkin were going to be like after a summer of drinking, like understandably. Um, but Ovechkin comes back and he's, you know, he's probably going to win the Conn's Mike again at this point. Um, you know, he's he looks exactly the same, um, if not better. So, you know, I think when your when your captain does that, if you know, I, I know in the past we've tended to, I think, place a lot of emphasis on the letter that's on Ovechkin's chest as opposed to the numbers that he puts on the scoreboard, but. Um, you know, stuff like that does matter internally. Um, and, and it has a positive, it's, had, it's definitely had a positive effect over the past couple of years. Um, and I know for him to come back like that, a lot of people kind of took notice internally and, um, definitely set the tone for, you know, cause it, it could have gone south, right? You could have gotten complacent. You have a new coach and, you know, you know, jive on the right, right page. But, um, it seems like Todd Reardon has a pretty good pulse of the roster and, um, you know, they're going to, they basically just need to weather the storm, right? They need to get through the regular season healthy and, um, cause they know that they have the firepower. They, they've proven themselves they can do it again. So, um, that's what I'm watching. Um, maybe that's because I just moved from DC and I don't get to see the Capitals as much. Mm. Yeah. So the Kuznetsov thing is fascinating to me because you're right. He's been, uh, supremely dominant for a while now and seems like he's really taken his game to another level so far this season. And what's interesting to me is, you know, before the year, I highlighted him as a, a player to watch for myself just because 
with Jay Beagle gone, uh, you know, we heard all about how they were going to entrust a bigger power penalty kill role to him. And I was curious to see how that would play out. But what's been kind of more interesting to me is on the other side of the special teams coin, uh, his role in the power play serving as sort of the, uh, I guess you could call it like the Nikita Kucherov to Alex Ovechkin, Steven Stamkos has been a very pleasant surprise because now he just seems like for whatever reason, um, he seems more comfortable or confident or willing to act as a shooter. If the opposing defense gives him that shot from the right circle on the power play. And if you have that going and we all know about his playmaking, his passing and, you know, Carlson at the point, Ovechkin on the left circle, Oshie around the net and in, in, in the middle there in the slot. If you have Kuznetsov shot there all of a sudden, it really becomes one of those things where it's like if you're an opposing penalty kill, you ultimately have no, you're just at their mercy and just hoping that they wind up missing their shots because they're going to get whatever look they want. And that's actually been one of, uh, you know, taking a step back and looking at the whole, at the league as a whole. What I really love is now these most lethal power plays we're seeing have that sort of, uh, one, two punch on the East West circles where it's like, mm. They can do the crossing pass. Uh, both guys, if you overplay that pass or shadow one of the guys, will gladly take advantage of the extra space they're afforded. And whether it's with Washington there or obviously Tampa Bay, what they've been doing for a couple of years, or even, you know, you see Toronto with Austin Matthews and uh, a guy like uh, Will, Mitch Martin on the other circle. Like, you just go on and on. Uh, these most lethal power plays have that one-two punch there in the two circles, and I've really enjoyed watching that as a whole throughout the league. I, I saw a picture, I forget what, Caps game it was from circulating on Twitter of Ovechkin. It was he was on the power play and he was just standing in a circle and he had a stick raised. Um, and I think people kind of interpreted it as he, like he was calling for the puck, but um, I've seen him do this before. And I, I think he was actually like basically just saying pass it, like give the puck to Carlson. Like he does it so every so often, just points to the point and will just basically take himself out of the play and very visibly be like pass the puck to Carlson. I don't want it right now. Um, and I'm not entirely sure wh- why he does this, but it, it does seem to open stuff up um, for him. Maybe down the line, you often see this like at the start of their power plays. Like Carlson, you know, the very t- very first time they set up in zone, um, he'll blast one from deep as opposed to feeding Ovechkin the one timer. And I think that's just to buy a little space if he feels like they're cheating over too far. Um, you know, he'll let one fly, and it certainly helps having a, a deep bomb of a shot like him. You know, work in this, that spot, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they've been imploring Backstrom to shoot forever. Um, and I think, you know, having both him and Kuznetsov action where they can pull Kuznetsov into the half wall position and, um, you know, get him going downhill and, and let him use that shot, I think, is good. And, um, you know, I also like they've, they've been doing a little bit more action where, um, you know, I think it's Ovechkin's call when he wants to do this. He'll, he'll move up to the point and trade places with Carlson and put Carlson in the one-timer spot, too, and, um, you know, that does tend to open stuff up, um, from a one-timer position for Carlson. And, um, it also gives Oveshkin a little bit of a decent look. So, um, you know, they, I think they were at times accused of, you know, getting a little too stagnant on their power play and rightfully so, cause it, you know, worked every time you just pump and pump eight in the left circle. And, um, you know, he scores 30 goals a year doing that, you know, why change it? But, um, you know, they do have so many weapons there and, you know, we haven't even mentioned Oshie in the bumper spot. Who's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's as good of a guy they've ever had there in that position since they, you know, installed and kind of revolutionized power play with that one three one setup. So, um, yeah, it's a, there's certainly a lot of weapons to watch there. I kind of miss seeing them on a daily basis. So, yeah, I mean, the other thing is obviously a league wide trend so far, um, and it's coming back down to earth a little bit, which might answer the question. But it's sort of this uh, surge in scoring, right? Especially in the first couple of weeks, we saw uh, power play opportunities are up, goals are up across the league, save percentages down, and you know, we see this, we saw this last year quite a bit where I feel like a lot of it is just early season noise where, um, give the coaches a couple, a couple weeks to, uh, really sink their claws into, into the team from a defensive perspective and, uh, try to make the game as, as minimally fun as possible. And eventually the games will slow down and the offense will dry up. But, you know, with just the talent we're seeing around the league and the pace some of these teams play at and what I mentioned there with the power plays, um, and sort of how teams are, being more creative with how they're using those weapons. Um, it's quite possible that we see goals at least elevated a little bit, which might not be to the level they were early on and we're hoping for, but we'll stop mercifully uh, those conversations about increasing net size and all that. 
Yeah, or reducing goal equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now that they're all talking about how how bruised they're getting. Um, yeah, I remember I was talking with a GM about about kind of just the scoring uptick, and um, you know, he was saying it, it does seem every year like we go through this where you know a couple teams are scoring a touchdown or putting you know seven eight goals on the board and. Um, early on and then eventually it quiets down as coaches get more conservative and a little more, um, you know, risk averse and they start tightening up and they start figuring it out. But, um, this one does, I don't know about you. This one does seem a little more sustainable to me. Like it's lasted a little longer. Um, and again, I'm not sure whether it's, you know, a combination of, you know, the goal, reduced goalie equipment and, um, you know, the continued, uh, enforcement on, uh, you know, slashing and crackdown on that and, you know, more power plays and, um, or whether, you know, teams aren't just, playing defense and they're hungover from the summer or whatever it may be. Um, you know, I still haven't, and the GM was kind of puzzled, a little bit puzzled too, that, you know, naturally through the first 10 games or so, you're not going to get um, a definitive answer, but um, I don't know about you. I'm all for it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm cool with having, you know, 3.6 goals a game per team um, or whatever it is right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously uh, you can have very exciting two one games but more goals means more lead changes and more uh you know events or 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 highlights and that's ultimately a good thing for capturing attention and having people talking about and enjoying the game so i am all for it and speaking of uh you mentioned hangovers speaking of hangovers and goals the natural segue here is to talk about alex ovechkin and the rocket richard race because that is also something that i've talked about on this podcast many times already but i will be keeping a close eye on i'm very excited about because with that elevation and number of goals scored it feels like the top end guys have been really feasting so far and you know patrick line hasn't really gotten it going yet but i'm sure he will and he'll t- rattle off a streak with like you know 15 goals in nine games or something like that coming up but whether it's ovechkin at eight goals in eight games or uh austin matthews obviously scoring 10 goals in the first two weeks or uh david pasternak and what he's doing over there in boston on that top line um it looks like we're going to be treated to a pretty special race where we could have a couple guys either hovering around or clearing the 50 goal mark which as recently as a couple years ago seemed like it was going to be a you know uh an extinct feat so say say hypothetically, I was going to Vegas soon, and mm-hmm. while I was in Vegas, I was going to spend some time at one of their legal sports books, and mm-hmm. my friend Dimitri wanted me to place a bet on who was going to win the Rocket Richard. Mm-hmm. Who would uh, who would I be laying it down for? I mean, I'm of two minds of this. I think that Austin Matthews, um, and I would have said this before the season, before he jumped off to that hot start, was an interesting candidate just because, you know, obviously his five-on-five production was so insane in his first two years in the league. And if you're going to tell me he's going to be playing on that top power play with John Tavares there, he's going to have many more opportunities and hopefully he'll play a bit more. And if he stays healthy, he could have a monster goal-scoring season and he's shown that so far. But the other side of the coin is... Ovechkin has sort of earned so much, so much leeway here in this category that it's like, I would feel very uneasy placing a large sum of money on anyone other than him, just because it seems like you're setting yourself up for looking at that ticket at the end of the season and going like, what was I thinking not betting on the GOAT? Yeah, I I wonder if the decision's harder if I give you Ovechkin or Matthews or the rest of, or everybody else. Like, because I mean... Nathan McKinnon has eight even strength goals and zero power play goals right now. Right. Um, and he scored double tonight, digits last year last night on the power play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and like you said, posture knocks gobbling up everything on that line, on mm-hmm. the best, possibly the best line in hockey. But um, I don't know for my money after I spent a lot of time talking with Daryl Belfry, um, you know, that skills coach who's done a lot of work with Matthews and kind of helped rebuild his shot a couple of years ago. Um, I think coming out of his rookie year and, um, I mean, I'm just convinced that this guy's doing absolutely different stuff as far as, you know, his release and um, the way he can kind of drag the puck and put it in different spots and, than most guys. And um, you know, it seems like the type of thing that that's sustainable because he can, you know, he can get it from all different areas. He can, you know, laser one from deep and um, he's so good at picking pucks out of guys' skates and kind of, you know, quick triggering it, um, you know, in high traffic areas. And um, so I, I think I would probably go for, for Matthews. Um, but I think it's going to be close. And, and, you know, like you said, like Ovechkin has what three, two goal games already. And he's, the guy's going to score in bunches. And what was it a couple of years ago? They needed a hat trick to get 50 in the last day. And he did it. That's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what are you going to, you going to keep doubting the guy, especially after you won a Stanley cup. And like, 
drank the entire all, the entirety of DC dry. Like, it's, yeah, it's, that seems like a foolish mission. Yeah, I wonder how many, uh, like, it would have been a pro-journalist move to start the year having two articles ready, having the, you know, are the Capitals and Ovechkin struggling from a Stanley Cup hangover, and then having the <laughs> sort of uh, Converse, uh, you know, now that the monkey's off the back, they're playing free and easy hockey. And uh, it certainly seems like the latter, although, uh, yeah, Ovechkin scoring 50 goals, uh, it just it's money in the bank, and he looks like he's uh, poised to do that again. And with that power play we just talked about, um, he certainly has an opportunity to put up pretty ridiculous goal totals again. And until we see him not do that, I will keep uh, keep betting that he, that he will continue to do so. Agreed. Um is there any other categories we uh we left out here? Like I had uh I had a question here. It's it's can the Detroit Red Wings challenge the tanking Buffalo Sabres for yes. worst team in recent memory and I guess that uh although like the 2016-17 uh Colorado Avalanche while in terms of uh wins and losses and goal differential they were horrible. Like their actual underlying numbers weren't anywhere near as bad as that Buff- like that Buffalo Sabres team is still the gold standard and clearly they were trying to lose. So we need to factor that in and this Red Wings team equally. I mean they're one six and two with a minus nineteen goal differential. They came back to steal that game against the Panthers, who with horrible goaltending as we mentioned. So I mean, you watch that game against Carolina, and I know we talked about how the Hurricanes are legit and are piling up the shots against everyone, but like the Red Wings didn't get the puck for the first like half of the game there, and the fans kept giving them the Bronx cheer, and Petr Mrazek was just chilling in net, not having to do anything in his revenge game against them, and they're just, they are truly, <laughs> a truly bad, bad hockey team. What a great revenge game. Hmm. Is that a siren revenge in your is, background that I'm hearing now? That is, that, is a, that is a siren in my background. Oh, there we go. Revenge is a dish best served icy while you're just kind of chilling. Yeah. Um, this might surprise you. I haven't had a single reason to watch a Detroit Red Wings game this year. Um, I did. I did turn it on for about 40 seconds of that Carolina game, and for all 40 seconds, Carolina had the puck in zone, and I think Detroit tried to clear it like twice and didn't work. So I was like, I, I had enough of that. Um, I mean, like that Manta Larkin nice Nyquist line. When you look at their numbers, they they should be better. Um, their PDO is like seventy two right now. Yeah, but the problem um, is, is it's a lot. So like, of, a lot of that is save percentage, and if you look at exactly yeah, what's playing yeah, in so front of them, it, they probably will have a very low PDO just because there's no reason to expect that they'll even be competent defensively. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I don't think it'll. I hope it's not that low. Mm. Um, I hope. I hope they'll get bumped up a little bit, or maybe their shoot, maybe their shooting percentage will come around a little bit. But um, no, I mean at least in terms of points percentage, like they're definitely tracking right now um, to challenge the, those Buffalo and Colorado teams. And um, boy, I hope they get a get a good piece there. Um, if not, it could it could be another kind of lengthy rebuild. I'm curious to see what Holland does at the at the deadline. Um, I mean, if, in Vanek and Nyquist, they both have no no trades, but um, you know, and they're but they're UFAs, and maybe you can convince them to. Um, you know, waive it and maybe try to re-sign them if you want to get them on a short term, if you're going to continue to, you want to have, you know, culture guys around while you're making this rebuild on, on the cheap and you want to get out of their contracts and get some assets. So, um, I mean, they have pieces if they want to, if they want to deal. Um, but you know, it's going to take some kind of backroom finagling to get those guys to waive it. So, you know, short of that, there's, there's not much they can do, I guess, other than keep, keep playing your kids. Can I interest you in a heavily used Justin Applicator? Ooh, how about Cronwall? Well, that's the thing that's annoying because at the start of the year, um, I feel like guys like uh, Erickson, Cronwall, and Daly were all out at one point, and so they were just playing like Joe Hicketts and Philip Ronick and Libor Shulak and these young defensemen, and I was like, yeah, listen, they're going to suck this year. They're going to lose. Let these guys go through their growing pains. At least you know, you give the fans something like young guys to kind of envision a brighter future around, but then all of a sudden these older guys get healthy, and all of a sudden... You know, a guy like Philip Ronick, who I really like, is getting scratched, and Nicholas Cronwall's in there, and it's like, oh my god, I can't. That's the thing. If I was a fan, I would much rather watch the future, a possible future, and just hope than, you know, keep trying to relive the glory days or whatever, or, you know, be forced to watch guys who got overpaid or, you know, overextended because, you know, of what they did in years past. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you look at, there's so many reasons to be uh, negative and sad as a Senators fan, and then you watch the start of this year, and you know Tabas Shabbat looks great, and Brady Kachuk before he unfortunately got injured was looking really good, and Max Lajoie, and all of a sudden it's like 
you know, this team yeah. probably still is playing over its head and will wind up coming back down to earth and bleak, bleak uh, stretches of the season are ahead. But at least, like, there's something to hold out hope for. It's like, I'm not sure how exciting uh, getting to watch Thomas Vanek is and uh, whether he's selling a lot of jerseys. So, so I don't know. I don't know about you, but if you're, if you're Ottawa and you're committed to sell, like, at the first sign that this goes south, shouldn't you try to do it? Because, like, shouldn't you try to get your tank on? Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously you want to get Colorado as good of a pick as possible. So, <laughs> Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. Oh, man. What no, but you're right. I mean, if you can recoup young assets and you feel like Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone are out the door anyways and you won't be able to retain them, obviously that's a that's a no-brainer. But I feel like, uh, you know, at least one of those guys will wind up signing long-term just because the Senators have to save face a little bit and can't just completely uh, gut this team all the way. So. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but there's there's going to be plenty of time for us to uh, discuss. Let's enjoy the fact that they're actually they're actually playing a relatively exciting brand of hockey. So uh, while they're not as good as their record would indicate, at least uh, it's not as entirely bleak as what we're seeing in Detroit right now. They are, and man, Mark Stone is is fun to watch as yeah. a at least single player. I wish I if if I yeah if they had like a, a superstar tracker on you know Game Center or whatever, and mm. I could like you know set it set alerts to just track certain players that'd be i'd be down to watch some ottawa if you know if it was only when mark stone's on the ice yeah like an iso cam or something like that that'd be a lot of fun exactly yeah like a superstar iso cam where you can like you know pick players from a drop down menu and it'll tell you like every time you know it'll pick like one iso player per game and you can watch that those guys shifts and like basically nfl red zone it back and forth i am all for that let's uh let's get that going cool um okay let's uh yeah let's get out of here um plug some stuff what are you what are you working on these days i know you have a uh, a matt barzell piece coming out that'll probably be out by the time people listen to this i think yeah that should be out um it should have by the time you're listening if to not, it, keep, it keep refreshing before. alex pruitt's uh sports illustrated author page yeah. <laughs> um let's see also on there there's a story about keith kincaid that um starts with the fact that he he now eats a full soft pretzel during most games like while he's playing that's what i love about alex pruitt's articles it's every time i read something there's always like a random nugget in there that i wonder and i know i've picked your brain about this before but like do you just go do you just go to the rinks and talk to people and just let them tell you something crazy and then you investigate it a bit further or do you like hear this from sources like how do you like obviously Keith Kincaid's a great story and the devils have been awesome so far and he's a big reason for their success. So it makes sense that you'd write about him, but like, how does something like that come up? Cause ultimately it feels like that sort of personality of his was aside from the actual on ice numbers was a big driving force behind that article. Yeah. I mean, it starts a little bit by um, just kind of seeing this guy who's tweeted a bunch of emojis before every game or after every win. Um, I had I had talked to Keith a couple of years ago for a story I did on kind of the life of backup goalies, and um, he stood out because he very openly admitted that he once like ordered chicken fingers from um, the concession stand at in Chicago, where the backup goalie doesn't have to sit on the bench and just like ate them during the game, <laughs> um, and like would you know routinely like hide popcorn and sunflower seeds in his water bottle, and um, you know just eat, he he's a very, he's notoriously hungry. Um, so kind of once I decided that I wanted to write about him, I started popping around Jersey and talking and just asking about people and or asking people about him. And I think it was Damon Severson who, um, who said that, you know, yeah, by the way, like when he shut out Dallas the other night or beat San Jose a couple of nights before that, um, he was just coming over the bench. He normally comes over the bench during every TV timeout, but he was coming over and like stealing bites of a soft pretzel that Eddie Lack was holding for him. Um, so, like, I mean, you know, I talked to Keith before about food, obviously. So I just went up and, you know, we chatted for about 15 minutes. And, like, the first thing I asked was, like, what, what, what the hell? <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he explained it's you know, it's carbs and salt. And um, I think he just kind of has a junk food palate by nature that, like, chicken fingers is actually his favorite. Like, Eddie Laxey tried to take him to a fancy restaurant in Switzerland. And so it's, like, never going to take him to a fancy restaurant again because he, you know, wanted the most basic food. So, yeah. you know, that's 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 Keith and Cade. So, um yeah, I guess, I don't know. It kind of stems from that. So you got a story about that. Got a story about Todd Reardon, the new Caps coach, and his transition. Um, I would encourage folks to, you know, if, if you want to go back and read something on Nathan McKinnon, the, the story we did um, as our season preview, it um, includes the time that he threw up on the beach because he was training too hard with Sidney Crosby the first time they ever trained together. Yep. Um, I feel like that training's they, paid off based on what I've seen. 
now they now they spend every day together in the summer and it's um it's quite honestly a pretty unique in the sports world relationship two guys from the same you know very small hometown who've you know now sensibly at the top of their sports so um a little bit about that a little bit about his his rise with the avalanche last year and why you know ultimately it seems like it's it is sustainable so Hmm. um nothing else coming down the pike in the magazine but um yeah a couple more couple more weird web things kind of born from this ridiculous brain of mine I feel like you're not really uh, you're not really selling the listeners on uh, checking out your pieces. It's just pretty uh, pretty nonchalant, pretty uh, yeah, whatever. If you want to check I, it out, dude, dude. I've talked about pretzels and puke. What more do you want? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And there, obviously, there, there's 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 your episode title, by the way. Pretzels and puke, and much like your much like Alex Ovechkin's track record of scoring goals, your track record of churning out quality pieces speaks for itself. So people, <laughs> uh, go go follow uh, Alex Pruitt and check out his latest work. And Alex, man, it was a blast. I'm glad we uh, we finally got to do this again after a long uh, summer and off season of not chatting. And uh, after you write a couple more interesting pieces, let's uh, let's get you back on. Yeah, man. Uh, hopefully, you're coming to New York soon so you can come hang out in my new hood. All right, I'm looking forward to it. We'll figure that out. Maybe we'll do an in-person show coming up here soon. And uh, Oh, yeah. That sounds be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. We'll chat soon. Cool. Cheers. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Thank you.